It's time to look below the emotional top line, and this is how we can do it. I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. I'm so tired. We use those phrases a lot. They're easy to understand. They're easy for other people to understand. And in reality, they probably do explain the immediate top line of the emotion we're experiencing. The thing is, if we only stick to that headline, we miss what's really going on. So let's dial it back a little and start with the reptilian brain or the primal brain. This is according to Paul McLean's Tryon brain model. This is the base of the brain's organizational hierarchy. It's the part that develops first, and it's responsible for our primal instincts, which are sometimes referred to as the four Fs, feeding, fighting, fleeing, and fornication. As such, it alerts us to action when those elements are threatened in some way. It is the seat of the fight or flight response. The next part to develop after the reptilian brain is the emotional brain, and then comes the rational brain. The emotional brain makes sense of the instinctive feeling, but it's the rational brain that then contextualizes it and understands it. So while we may feel uncomfortable and we might emotionally try and explain it as I'm angry, it might be that when we think a bit deeper about it, we're actually feeling rejected or frightened. But because our emotional and rational brain have offered us a reasonable explanation, we don't look too much deeper. And who has the time? in our fast-paced life, or even who has the money for therapy or coaching. Cowan and Keltner in 2017 proposed that there are 27 distinct emotions, and this doesn't account for combinations of emotions. And this is probably best illustrated by the emotion wheel, which was devised by Robert Pluchik. Pluchik proposed that there are eight key emotions from which all the others derive, and he grouped them into opposites, joy into sadness, acceptance and disgust, fear and anger, surprise and anticipation. And these can be broken down. So, for example, joy may also include feelings of serenity and fulfillment. And then if you combine that with trust, then you might be feeling love and so on. The problem is, The emotional brain and the rational brain don't really think this deeply when seeking to explain feelings. And the primal brain doesn't have the capacity because it's just moved to take instinctive action. And so, according to Pluchik, what can then happen is that we are moved to action without thought and instinctively certain behavior patterns are initiated. So, for example, if we feel fear and terror, we instinctively seek to protect. Anger and rage can motivate us to destroy. However, whether it is in our best interest to follow through with that behavior is tempered by context and a deeper cognitive understanding, which is helped by the rational brain if we engage it. Unfortunately, we don't always have time to think before we need to take action. And indeed, our brain is set up to keep us alive. So responding to our instincts may well be a sensible thing to do. However, Let us remember that we have evolved and our surroundings are completely different now to when our brain's instincts were essential. So, for example, reproducing just because we feel joy and pleasure in a moment may not be the most sensible thing to do, partly because someone might be manipulating your feelings. And destruction in a state of anger or rage, although this may be a way to express and release such big feelings, may also result in destroying your own property or reputation. Not only that, but if we simply dismiss I'm tired, for example, as I need more sleep, actually, you may not have thought further to consider whether are you tired because people are dumping on you? 
Are you tired of feeling unseen? Are you tired of not knowing where you stand in a relationship? And if it's any of those forms of tiredness, sleep really isn't going to make much difference. So in the first instance, what can help are methods to maintain headspace. So in the throes of an emotion, we can take a step back, allow our rational brain to explore the many causes of that feeling and think about the different types of action we could take depending on what we want to achieve. Then we proceed for the most effective outcome. Just explaining that took about 30 seconds. And at the point of crisis, when do we have the time? The answer is we don't. We just have to practice. And the problem is we're not taught to practice that because children are just told calm down without being given ways to do it. So maybe incorporate some of these techniques into your day and they might give you a moment of pause or respite when you need it the most. Number one, get comfortable with feeling emotions, knowing that they are just that. From acceptance and commitment therapy, try to see emotions as clouds passing in the sky. You, like the sky, remain constant. They will pass. They may get intense from time to time, but rather than push them away, sit with them for a while, knowing that you are constant and they are simply passing through. Too often, we focus on removing the unpleasant feeling, and sometimes distraction can work, but being able to hold them momentarily will often allow their intensity to dissipate as you recognize you're not in immediate danger, but also recognize what it is you're actually feeling, which may give you a better solution when it comes to taking effective action. Number two, learn to label your emotions. This is where you begin to unpack that top line, begin to recognize what you're really feeling. Yes, you may be tired, but what of? If we only treat the headline, we may never get to the root. For younger children, it may be appropriate to help them express and understand big feelings through colour. What does a red feeling feel like? What can we do about it? And having that discussion and also talking about some of the things that make you feel better is a wonderful way to role model emotional expression. And this helps us understand and young children understand that emotions are not bad. They're just an indicator light that there may be something that needs looking at. And you can use that reminder for yourself as well. Number three, stop saying I'm fine. Start to be honest with yourself at the very least. And perhaps maybe be honest with select others as to how you're really feeling. If you're feeling fabulous, say so. If not, maybe you wish to confide in the person asking you if you do have that sort of relationship or perhaps offer a closed positive response. For example, I'm not great, but I don't want to discuss it right now. Or I'm not great, but I'm working on it. This may lead to a further opportunity to talk when it's more convenient for both of you. Or it might simply close the conversation if it's with somebody you don't want to talk with. And whilst I say we do need to talk, you do have the choice over who that talking companion is. There is no shame in admitting you need support. But when you reach out, please consider who would be the most effective person. And as always, it's best to seek help before the point of crisis or before it gets to the point where that feeling is taken out of your hands because you're no longer able to cope and your body breaks physically or emotionally. So this week, really take a moment and try and dial back that emotional top line. And that's all we have time for. But for more practical ways to boost your well-being, check out my YouTube channel, Dr. Audrey T, Practical Tools for Everyday Wellbeing, or my Facebook page of the same name. Or have a look at my website, www.draudreyt.com, or tune in to the Wellbeing Lounge on Tuesday nights, 9 till 10, for your hour of mental health on NLive Radio.